and I declare the winner of the 2019 Brownlow Medal, Nathan Park of the Fremantle Football Club. Footy is back and all those boring weekends are over. We can get back into normality once again. Welcome to this very special edition of the Centre Square Podcast on Sport FM 91.3, your football headquarters. I'm Bray Lovage and joining me is all four of you, Ethan Roth, Noah Tonkin, Luca Vinning and Cal Levitt. Boys, how are we going? Cal, where have you been um, for about three months? I've been a bit busy, as you boys know. Can With what? Me, can you can back me up on that one, boys? With um, what? Since March. Since March, yeah, no been yeah, been 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 very busy, but you know, it's good to be in the studio, first time in a while. So good to be here, Vinning. How are you? Yeah, oh, good. We've you know we've got a big show ahead of us today, so um, yeah, yeah, really pumped and good to be here with all the boys. Um, back again. Yeah, good to be here, Bray. Ethan, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. We haven't we couldn't have timed it much better to be honest with the footy back. Uh, two of the specialists, but. Um, We'll get straight into it. So the major news and headlines since oh, almost going back a week ago now, rounding off the Hall of Fame, Dean Cox was inducted, uh, John Abley and Greg Phillips, a couple of older players, um, and Dennis Cometti as well as the, one of the first media uh, personalities um, to get inducted, which I, we can all agree on on those guys. Um, yeah, well, Dean, Dean Cox was one of the um, you know one of the the greatest rucks to play the game. He really um, you know he was that that fourth mid. So um, yeah. Yeah, it was great to see him get in the Hall of Fame. Touching on the Hall of Fame, uh, there's been comments, obviously. I think it was Dean Cox was one of the main ones saying Ben Cousins should be inducted. Uh, what are your boys' thoughts on that? Well, I think he had, he, he, he's already eligible, isn't he? Yeah, he is eligible. Yeah. Um, they're just, well, I think because obviously what's happened off-field with Ben Cousins, yeah, that's, all these probably, problems. that's contributed to it. But um, I think they should go off what they do on the footy field, which Dean Cox did say. Yep. And they should just go with that, even though he's had his troubles. And when they do induct him, make sure he's healthy and able to be there and um, talk, if that's possible. Uh, Talking Footy and uh, Game Day on Channel 7 have been axed. Uh, Talking Footy replaced by Big Brother. Stiff. With uh, oh, Daniel Gorringe. Yeah, Don't mind a bit of Big Brother myself, though. Yeah, so, you've been, you've yeah, been not, into not it. Not I've been all over the Big Brother. Yeah, um, you have. Yeah. Very popular show. Uh, first two episodes um, have, have already gone past pretty quick. But... Uh, mm, no talking footy, no game day. Uh, uh, the Eagles touched down the Gold Coast on Monday with Tim Kelly, Liam Ryan and Tom Hickey, the only ones to have their family with them. Uh, the Dockers touched down on Tuesday. No families with them. There's only four fathers anyway. Uh, Cam McCarthy will not play against the Lions. Uh, they still haven't said what's behind the collapse. They're covering up, I guess, a bit. But um, And there was a fire in one of the escalators when the, one of the Eagles landed. Um, luckily, none of them were harmed. Yeah, I though. think it was before... Any of the plays got there. Okay, the, yeah. The, the fire happened, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, just, just touching on um, Cam McCarthy's club, I think it was just a bit of a, <laughs> a darty <laughs> overload. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Great comedy from there. Yeah, um, so, uh, straight from the darty dimension from him, and he's uh, back <laughs> training with the squad. There was talk, there was talks for a thousand people being let in for the Queensland game. Uh, that will not go ahead. But South Australia, yeah, for on the that showdown. Matter, yeah, really 2,000 people that. will be allowed in for the showdown, plus 240 in private rooms. How are they going to do that? How are they I'm not sure. Well, one, yeah, there'd probably be groups of 20, and then... How they I gonna saw last night, 2,000 um, yeah. Port Adelaide are going like, to raffle off to their members for yeah. the 1,400, I think it is, uh, uh, that they get. 
I think it's one, uh, yeah, 1,200. Something like that. Yeah. Um, they're going to like raffle off their members. Uh, so then, yeah, that's yeah. how they're going to get the tickets. Port Adelaide, they, no, Adelaide, sorry, they have 400 tickets. Um, and I think there's like 200 for something else. I'm not... Yeah, some pri- corp- yeah, some corporates. Yeah. No, nah, there's, there's 200 for like media and stuff, I'm pretty sure. And then there's another couple that re- yeah. fill up the 2,000, but... It's still good to get a turnout for oh, the, um, good. you know, for a show. Yeah, yeah. bit so of noise. No, if you said that a few, like a few weeks ago, that some sort of crowd would be allowed round one, no one would believe that. So it's very round two, positive. and it's round, good that yeah, the, the, the two basically a- round one because I guess they're resuming. Yeah, but and um, it's good that the um, the two Adelaide teams are playing their showdown um, in Adelaide, and then then they'll mm. go over. So yeah, good to have that showdown over here. I think they're thinking of a similar thing in Perth when once they yeah. can get. I think as early as round after round five, they were saying. Is, is some yeah, talk. Ryan Daniels had a report on it. Cal, you, I remember you sent something through uh, on Triple M about the uh, the crowds. But um, Harley Bennell. Harley Bennell. Harley Bennell is a good chat. Well, he's actually going to make his Melbourne debut. He's, yeah, he's going to make um, announce today, wasn't it? Very good. I mean, he obviously didn't work out at the Dockers, but you know, obviously everyone wishes him well. Jaden Stevenson won't play for the Pies. Um, and... Former Sydney Ruckman Claremont product Darcy Cameron to make his debut. Cow got anything on him as a as a loyal Pies supporter? Um, yeah, it'd be good to see him debut. Obviously, got him over in the off season from Sydney. Uh, he's going to take the Mason Cox role mm. as Cox is out injured, so he'll play that tall forward. And when Grundy's obviously not on the ground doing his thing, he'll move into the rut and yep. just. Do the best he can. Yeah, well, we're watching some footage. He looked pretty, um, you know, pretty elite as a as a Athletic. sort of key forward. Yeah, um, you know, that could play some ruck. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if he can play well, be pretty versatile for the Pies. Good pick up. Yeah, Good and we'll round up. things up in South Australia, where Billy Frampton and Kyle Hardigan were having a punch up at training for the Crows. Um, and also Andrew McLeod, the fallout from that continues, as he said number of times on his podcast that the footy club is not a welcoming place and feels uncomfortable walking through even though he has an employment he's employed at the club in a next generation uh sort of mentor role but um yeah it's quite odd considering he's working there one of the greats of the game yeah but um interesting with the punch up at training mm. how they both like talked after it yeah sort of thing, how it'll happen but um, I think it's Hardigan who's got a big black eye on it. Yeah, oh, they'll laugh it off now, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, Vinning and myself, we're actually going to depart. But just Jack Higgins, yeah, he's going to play. He's great, gonna play this great year. story. Uh, after head brain surgery, one of the one of the I guess the worst injuries you could ever have. Yeah, just not yeah, good. Yeah, so it's amazing really impact yeah. you. Amazing that he's going to come back and play some football. So yeah, really good. Yeah, well, yep. that's basically it. Um, next yep. This time next week, we'll have some footy to dissect. Uh, yeah, and of stop course. talking um, all the news and more on the, the play and the results. But, um, yeah, me and you are off, uh, Luca, and yep, now we'll be on go- a bit later. Yep, now uh, we're going to get our special guest on the phone. First one. Kicks very quickly. Davis works. Gasper underneath it. And then goes across oh, with a no. check side. Oh. Has he done it? Oh. He has. Of course oh. he has. It's Neon Leon. <laughs> All right, you heard it just before, right then. Uh, we've got on the phone now, pick 34 in the 1999 AFL draft. He played 225 games for the Collingwood Football Club, kicking 270 goals in a 12-year time frame. He was a two-time All-Australian, played in that state game uh, in 20, 2008. Also won Goal of the Year in the same year. He was part of the Collingwood 2010 Premiership team. Otherwise, he is known as... Neon Leon, it's Leon Davis. Leon, welcome to the show. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Um, 
You grew up here in Perth, played for railways as well as the Perth Demons. Can you tell us about your early life growing up and what it was like being part of your Aboriginal heritage? Um, yeah, I had upsides and downsides, I guess. Um, growing up in a small community town in Northern, um, sort of was had that bit more freedom to be out on country and, and, and do stuff as as young as young kids like to do. Um, our two brothers, uh, plenty of cousins and that, so we're always out and about down the footy oval or, you know, down the basketball court, down the uh, PCYC, that kind of stuff, um, down the river, uh, all that kind of stuff that, like I said before, growing up in a small country town, um, yeah, we're fortunate enough to be able to get out on the weekends and after school and stuff and be pretty actively outside and, and yeah, out on country and stuff like that, like I just mentioned. So um, um, that was some of the bonuses, um, I suppose, having a lot of family and, and growing up in a in a town where, you know, there was the, the First Nations people there, was you know, there, there, there was a lot growing up. So, so that helped me in good stead as well to always be able to spend time with family and, and my extended family as well. Um, at 14, I moved to Perth. Um, just to further my football, uh, like I said before, the, I've got two brothers, uh, one younger, one older, so um, mum and dad thought it was best for us in, in, in our football development to move down to Perth. Um, living in Northern and, and having to travel to Perth for, you know, rep teams and, and stuff like that. Combined side, we're in the um, Perth Football Club zone then. So um, at 14, sort of made the move down to Perth, uh, played down in Maddington, um, the coach for the the rep team obviously was a he also was a was a coach down at Maddington which um which yeah sort of helped me out a lot with with my football stuff and that as well so um the two brothers dropped off footy once we moved to Perth uh they still played in that um I sort of chased it a bit harder than they did and, and was pushed a bit a bit harder than than from from the parents and that which um yeah at a, at a, at a, was a dream of mine from a very young age to play at the top level and I chased it pretty hard and was fortunate enough like I said before to get Picked up in the '99 draft, which makes me sound really old, but uh, but yeah, look, it was a, a dream come true to be to get to get drafted and obviously play at the top level. Something I'd worked really, really hard for my whole my whole life, and, and to be able to achieve that was very fulfilling and very proud for the parents of mine and and, and yeah, for my family as well. So a little bit about where I grew up and and a bit about the journey that I that I took to get to where I was. Yeah, so you said you got taken by the Pies in the draft. Um, How'd you settle into the club playing playing your first forty games in the first two years back when you had dreadlocks? Um, yeah, um, it was. I suppose for myself, but it, going to going to Collingwood, you know, that they, they, they finished down towards the bottom of the ladder um, the year before I rocked up. So um, yeah, so it, it sort of played in my favour, I guess, going along and and getting drafted and. and you know, having a Josh Fraser, Reece Shaw, Ben Johnson, those types uh, get drafted the same year as myself. Um, yeah, look, we all work pretty hard to, to to get our debuts and that. But I, yeah, I guess I was very fortunate to play as many games as I did. Um, that inexperience that you see from new draftees coming in, in into the comp, you see that pretty regularly, and, and it showed for myself as well. I played a couple of games, and I'd get dropped back to the twos, um, go back and. and and play some good footy and then get get picked again to play ones and, and we'll sort of in and out of the team for the first probably couple of years. Um, I suppose, you know, struggling with that and that consistency side of it was something that, yeah, sort of struggled with early on in my career, which showed with, yeah, playing playing a couple of games and then get dropped and then having to work my way back into the team and, and yeah, just in and out of the side, that inconsistency. So, 
was something that definitely I needed to work on. Yeah, so in 2002, you really broke out, kicking 31 goals, playing predominantly as a small forward, and you played in the grand final loss uh, or to a quality. No, you played in the grand final losing to a quality outfit in Brisbane Lions, who did yep. beat you in 2003. Um, do you look back at these times and see it as successful, even though you didn't achieve the ultimate goal? And how did Mick Malthouse rally his players to keep them having a positive mindset during these times? Um, yeah, look, I suppose you play footy to win win premierships and, and to not be able to win. Um, you know, a lot of people mentioned how good Brisbane were then and and you know they were obviously a quality outfit, but you know we we had every chance to win. Obviously, the first one, the second one, I think was a bit of a blowout. So, so you know, you look, I look back on them and, and see it as disappointment. You know, talking to teammates that played then, and and you know, just just the boys that were around then and played in those games and that, you know, speak regularly to some of them. Um, you know, we always look at it as you know, disappointing that we couldn't win, and and you know, to come from where we came from, you know, in the year of two thousand get to 2002 and play off in the granny like you know 2003 as well like it's something that you know i look on first look back on personally and see it as a you know as a failure and, and something that you wish you thought of one you know it does give you that experience going forward but yeah like i said it, it's something that i look back on and, and i know we're you know pretty disappointed and not not getting being able to being able to win the flag in them years Yep, so next question. Uh, a couple of years on and in 2005, you were the first Indigenous player to reach a 100-game milestone. How much did this mean to you and do you think it paved the way for more Indigenous guys to follow in your footsteps? Um, yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, it was something that going on draft... Well, a bit of a story. On, on draft day, it was um, sitting around, you know, waiting, hoping to get picked up, hoping to get drafted. Every time... Um, you know, West Coast or Fremantle had a had a had a pick. I, I sort of had my eyes glued to the TV and was fully focused in on hoping to hear my name so I could stay in first play. Um, as you said before, got picked up number thirty four. So um, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, and I wasn't really paying, paying attention when Collingwood had their pick and they called my name out. And then yeah, it was a bit of a shock that you know I knew Collingwood Football Club wasn't in WA, so I had to quickly um, yeah had to quickly you know, adjust to, to realising that I'd have to leave WA, I have to leave all my family, all that kind of stuff to go to go to Melbourne to play footy. Um, but then obviously getting to Collingwood, um, you know, I didn't know too much about them. You know, I love watching footy on the weekends and stuff like that. The only thing I probably knew was, you know, Nathan Buckley being, you know, their best player and, and just watching him growing up and the way he played and stuff like that. You know, obviously one of the better players in the competition, so I obviously knew he was. Um, that's probably all I knew about Collingwood. Um, but then getting to the footy club and, and you know, the, to be able to be the first, you know, First Nations first to play 100 games for that football club, you know, something that I was very proud of. Um, you know, and, and definitely something that I'm glad I stuck it out at the club for as long as I did and, and played as many games and that and sort of, you know, changed, changed somewhat the, the perception of the football club in the... Um, yeah, the reputation they had towards um, yeah people like myself and, and that kind of stuff. So it was it was something that you know after my career, you know, and, and, and staying there as long as I did and going through what I did at the football club was something that you know not only played a hundred games at that football club, but be able to be able to change you know people's perception of the football club and give them a like especially my family to give them a to give them a first hand account of you know people at the football club, you know the way they worked and. and and the way they went about things, obviously, wasn't 
ideal when I rocked up. But you know, when I left, I, I felt you know the, the education I, I was able to give to them and, and that kind of stuff sort of held them better than what I when I first rocked up there. So to be able to play, you know, a hundred games there to be the first First Nations, you know, Aboriginal person to play a hundred games there was something that I'm very proud of, and, and you know, I've made it to two hundred and. First, you know, First Nations first to be life member at that football club as well. So it's something that you know it's one of my proudest things in my football career, um, and it's something that obviously seeing like Daniel Wells, Barco, you know, and all the First Nations players that have gone through there, and you know, to to do what I've done at that football club, obviously very proud of, and, and if it made it a bit more easier or a bit more comfortable for a fellow, you know, First Nations um, footballers to go there then, yeah, I'm very pleased about that. So, after six years of playing as a small forward, you moved up the ground in 20, 27, uh, 2007, um, playing some midfield, uh, having a bit of midfield time. How was this move? And you still managed to kick 29 goals in a side which made a prelim final. But did you enjoy uh, being around the ball more? Um, yeah, I think that came with experience and, and just fitness. Um Played a lot on ball as a junior, uh, out on the wing, sort of through the middle a bit. Um, I think that just came with, yeah, came with experience and came with having a, bit, um, a better tank and just and being, being a lot more fitter and taking my football a lot more seriously as well. So it was just something that um, was fit enough to be able to go through the middle. But obviously always had a um, had a natural ability to, to, to find the goals and stuff like that. So, so yeah, to be able to still play midfield and... and pinch it up forward and still kick some goals it was putting both both parts of the game that I really enjoyed together and, and yeah sort of it worked out worked out alright yeah so 2008 was arguably your best year yet you finished fourth in the best and fairest and really made your mark in the league winning goal of the year and also featuring in an AFL uh, advertisement in the 2008 off season um, but speaking of that goal at Subiaco you tackled Des, uh, Des Headland paddled the ball towards the boundary um, and picked it up and kicked the goal from 50 on the boundary. Uh, can you talk us through that goal? Um, and did you have any indication that it would be goal in the year as you were pretty casual about it? Um, yeah, I wasn't one to, um, <laughs> to celebrate too much. Um, I did early on, but, um, but yeah, sort of pulled that back a bit and, and didn't really, yeah, like to celebrate too much. But with that goal, it was, yeah, it was just something that, something that played out. Um, I know I'm pretty close to theirs and, you know, we always have a bit of bit of a laugh about it, and that when I catch up with him or when I'm talking to him, um, it's just something that came about. It, it, it yeah, it, it was off instinct, and and you know, you're just doing what doing what you you need to do as a forward player, and that's put pressure on, which I did. And, and fortunately enough, he, he tapped the ball out, went out towards the boundary, and was able to grab it. And, and yeah, anywhere inside fifty, I like it back myself, and 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 I did, and sort of at a at a loss from Mick to have a crack. I felt I could. Yeah, felt if I if I could kick the goal, so so yeah, that, that, I had confidence that um, yeah, that if I had a shot, it was going to go in. So for myself, it was just yeah, just just played out that way, and and for it to get goal of the year, look, it's it probably you know my own with my own expectations. So it probably wasn't my best goal that I've kicked, but you know, I guess just that year, it was there probably wasn't wasn't much else to, to stack it up against. So. So for myself, just yeah, just something that played out. It's not you know you don't. I wasn't going out every week trying to get goals. Yeah, that's for sure. But um, but yeah, for it to play out that way was, was yeah. Yeah. What do you think the best goal you ever yeah. kicked was? Um, 
There was one, oh, this one got a bit of sentimental value to myself. It was an Anzac Day, um, Anzac Day game, and, and going into the game, my, my nephew from back in Perth, my sister's son, um, Ricky Junior, he um, he, he loved his wrestling, so he asked me to do if I kicked the goal. He asked me to do the um, do the John Cena. So I've, I've, yeah, gathered the ball from about sixty out and, and took a couple of steps and, and kicked it from fifty. Um, and then obviously remembered that and. And yeah, did it, and there's, there's someone taking a photo of it at the perfect time, and that I've that I've done the John Cena um, celebration. And yeah, he's got it on his wall at home now. And yeah, he, he loved his wrestling at the time, and he was just yeah, he just, he just lit up his world. Eh? So, so so that's one that sticks to sticks to mind. That you know, because he'd asked me to do something for him, and I was able to um, pretty close with with him and, and my family. So any time anything like that happened, very special for myself. But yeah, just that goal sort of sticks out because of because of that of uh, sentimental value to it. Yeah, nice. So speaking about magnificent goals, you were seen as the master of the dribble kick and kicking impossible goals, which a lot of people would remember remember after the game against Carlton. Were you always talented or natural in completing those skills, or did you? And how did you get the nickname Neon Leon? Sit with you after many uh, commentators and supporters made you a fan favourite. Yep. Um, yeah, something that you know, like I mentioned, growing up. In a country town, having you know two brothers and and you know plenty of cousins always down the footy oval or something that you know you'd always cut us out on the boundary. It's, yeah, it's pretty boring to be out in front of goals trying to kick them. It's too easy kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, we'd always be you know out on the boundary trying to trying to outdo each other and, and, and kick the better goal. So so from a very young age, it was, it was something that I've always practiced and, and always you know sort of anytime we went down the street, anytime we went down the park, walk you know walking to the park or anything like that, I've always had a footy in my hand from a very young age and, and there was always a gap in the tree or, you know, two bins or whatever it was, two posts. You know, it was always, oh, if you could kick it through there or, you know, it was always a competition with myself and my two brothers. So it's not something that, you know, just happened overnight. It's something that I've got, you know, not perfectly, but, you know, practised my whole life to, you know, from a very young age to, to be able to do that. And then, you know, game situation, it's it, it, it kind of comes natural where you know what you're doing. It's, it's instinctive. So, so for myself, it was, yeah, a lifetime of, um, from a very young age, just, yeah, practising it and, and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so, so that, that's how that came about. Uh, the name Neon is something that um, I think Eddie started that. I think he had to call my, um, I think he had to, he named the team on the footy show on my debut game. And, and yeah, because of the way I'd played and, and my highlight tape from, from back in the waffle when I played um, in the video he'd seen, he, he yeah, sort of seen some highlights and that and thought, yeah, and came up with that nickname. Um, it's something that I'll publicly mention to him that I, you know, I didn't like at all, <laughs> but it sucks. So, yeah, it, 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 it's gone from that to, to what it is now, and, and a lot of people refer to me as that, which is fine, you know, like it doesn't bother me too much now, but early on it did, but, um, but yeah, it sucks, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, claim. Claim that to, claim to give me that, that nickname. Yeah, so now in 2009 you earned your first All-Australian selection, but form was up and down in 2010. Um, first of all, describe being part of the 2010 drawn grand final. Uh, what were you thinking the, when the final sign went? Uh, did you know the rules? Did you think it was five minutes on? Um, or did you think you'd be coming away with either the, the win or the loss? Um, yeah, I, I was like everyone else. I think the majority of us didn't know what... what what was meant to happen? Um, 
think we all stood around the over for a bit and yeah, didn't had no idea what we were meant to be doing and stuff like that, whether it's gonna be extra time or, or what's gonna happen and, and yeah, we eventually got the got told that we're that, that you know, that we'll be coming back next week to play and stuff like that. So, um so disappointing in there not to be able to play in the in the replay. But um but yeah, look I've I've sort of half expected the call from Mick and and when he did give me the call, we had a good chat about it, and, and you know, it was put behind us pretty quickly. Um, I fully understood that I didn't do enough in the in the first one to, to get to, you know, and obviously he wanted to change the side up, which was which was fine in my eyes. I didn't didn't play my best, or didn't play, you know, do do what I what I knew I was capable of in the draw. So, um, so yeah, once he called me, I obviously was disappointed in that that I couldn't, you know, get out there for the repeat and. But obviously got got passed pretty quick and, and was yeah trained all week and, and supported the team in in getting them ready to, to go out and win which they did and and you know and yeah they end up winning which you know we all celebrated as a team and and yeah so never never ever was any bad terms between me and Mick about that um, fully respective and, and yeah like I said well, I got past that pretty quickly and after the phone call I knew it was business as usual and just had to get the get to the training and, and be around the club and support the boys and I knew if they felt you know got along pretty well with most of the boys at the club which I didn't want them to see me upset or, or you know, sort of annoyed that I got dropped and, and you know, that kind of stuff. So got past pretty quick and, and yeah, sort of moved on and, and supported the boys and getting ready to, to face St Kilda again and see them come away with the win was great. Yeah, so you returned to the back line in 2011 and came back uh, to career best form in a side that won the minor premiership. Did you enjoy being a forward or back more and do you think there was one that sued you best and uh, benefited the strength in the team? Um, always loved kicking a goal. Always loved, um, yeah, kicking goals and, and yeah, something that came natural to me. So, but I'd have to say I enjoyed I enjoyed playing down back um, more so. I guess just having that challenge every week to get an opponent and, and be able to you know and have to shut him down and, and stop him from having an influence on the game. It, and also, just uh, yeah, it, it, it came about. You know, first um, first day back at training, and, and we had to separate into our groups. And then Mick sort of mentioned to me, he said, "Oh, you need to go with the backline players and go with that group, Scotty Waters, the backline coach at the time." And he said, "Oh, you need to go with Scotty." And I thought he was joking, so I walked off from him and walked over the forward. And then he called me over again and said, "No, nah, no, nah, you need to go with the back, so that's where you'll be playing this year." Um, Oh, okay. Sort of thought he was, you know, take the piss and thought thought he was joking around and that. But then, yeah, sort of um, after the after a week went by, I knew he was serious. So, but just that one on one stuff and, and and things like that, which I was I was pretty comfortable with. So, um, having to yeah, having to go down back was a challenge in itself, and it's something that I took you know full grasp of and and really really close knit group down there. Nick Maxwell was great, welcoming me in down there and, and sort of helped me out and whatnot. And also being Skipper, yeah, he's done a fantastic job of making me feel welcome down back. And, and they kept it pretty simple. Scotty Waters was, was great as well. Kept it pretty simple with what I needed to do and, and how I needed to prepare to play down back. And, and there wasn't too much to it, really. So, yeah, for myself to go down there, I've seen it as a challenge. And, and Mick sort of put it on me, you know, pretty straightforward from day one of uh, pre-season. So to be able to take that challenge on and, and, and have, have the season that I did was, was, you know, very, very hard work. But something that I enjoyed greatly because, yeah, because it was a challenge and, and to be able to play the football I did, I really, really did enjoy it. 
Yeah, so there were many fierce battles between Collingwood and Geelong, a few uh, prelim finals that went both ways. But in the 2011 <laughs> grand final, that's one game that stands out. Um, we were chatting with your good mate, Andrew Cracker, about how good you guys were right until three-quarter time. Is this how you see it? And what was it like playing against guys such as Corey Enright, Matthew Scarlett, uh, Joel Selwood, Steve Johnson and Paul Chapman, just to name a few? Yeah, no, look, we played great for three quarters, just that one quarter where they got away from us. And, you know, they were a great side and, and the better team on the day, that's for sure. So you can't take nothing away from them. And the names you mentioned, you know, they're, they're all-time greats of our game, you know, not only for Geelong, but, but for the AFL. And, and you know, they're, they're champions of the game and they'll go down as champions. You know, they were a great side as well. As good as we were, you know, they there, there was no mistake why they were the other team in, in the grand final as well. So you know, to come up against them, and, and that's what you want to do. You want to play against the best teams. You want to play against the, you know, the best opposition, and, and that year they, they proved to be, you know, the best team. You know, it doesn't matter if you won the minor premiership. doesn't matter what you've done throughout the year. You know, that last game, you know, in September is the one that, that counts. And they, yeah, they played well enough to beat, beat us as good as we were as a team. They were good enough to get the job done on that day. So full credit to them. And, and, and yeah, like I said, them names that you mentioned, along with the rest of their team, you know, yeah, they're, they're household names. And when you start talking about AFL football, full credit goes to them, champions of the game, and, and, and you have to respect that. Yeah, so that ended up being your last game in the black and white. Did you already know this was know that at the time? And how long did it take you to get over the loss? And was the reason you retired have anything to do with Nathan Buckley taking over as coach as you were still 30 at the time? Um, no, nah, no, nah, Buck, that had nothing to do with it. Um, I had a few issues back home and, and had a few issues. Um, you know, old man was a bit crook. I wanted to get home and I'd missed a lot of time. I, I spent a lot of time away from home. And, and for me, home means my country, my culture. Um, my father teaching me my culture, that kind of stuff. Um, getting out on country, practicing my culture, learning my culture. That's what I mean by going home. It's not just a matter of being home, you know, just because I grew up there and, and, that, and, and whatnot. There's, there's a lot more to it. Um, football comes second to all that. So to spend many, as many as many years as I did away from home and away from my culture and my country you know, and my family, you know, it, it was coming close to me, you know, time for me to go home and, and start really getting stuck into my culture and learning my culture more and getting more connected to my culture. So um, that played a part. But ultimately, you know, I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay and stuff like that. But then we, yeah, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't sort that out with the with the club or myself. So it's something that you know a lot of factors played played a role. But um, in the end, look, I was happy to walk away when I did, and, and you know it wasn't wasn't bitter about the decision. I wasn't you know I, I made the decision you know fully knowing that that was a decision that I'd have to live with. And and yeah, look, I, I went home. I was happy, and and yeah, I was glad that I left when I did. Um, in saying that, like I just mentioned, like I wanted to stay and I wanted to play on, but. But it worked out the way it did, and, and you know, looking back now, sort of hoped and sort of sort of wished I stayed and played a little bit more. Um, I love playing football and and all that kind of stuff. But it, but yeah, I'm I'm happy with the decision I made. I've got to spend a lot more time with my father, you know, and my mum, you know, family, extended family, that kind of stuff. You know, I've got a lot more connected to my culture. I learn a lot more about my culture, that kind of stuff as well. So. You know, I was able to see nieces and nephews grow up, so I'd take my own children back home, be around family. So a lot, of, a lot of things played a part in that. I didn't, I didn't know going into that grand final that that was going to be my last game. Um, but something that eventuated after that. Um, Bucks becoming coach. Look, I, I love Mick as a coach. 
Um, love Buck as a, as a teammate as well. But, you know, for me, you know, Mick, Mick was one of the greats, and he is one of the greats, and everyone knows it. One of the greatest coaches of all time. You know, it was disappointing to see him um, to leave and not be the coach of Collingwood no more. But, you know, it's something that I, I understood and knew, and that didn't, that didn't, you know, sway me either way whether Buck was going to be the coach or not. Um, I had a pretty good relationship with Buck throughout my um, AFL career. So, um, yeah, look, it, it, that Buck becoming the coach didn't didn't play a part in, in, in me leaving, yeah, leaving and, it all. So, so, yeah. Yeah, and do you think if um, you knew it was your last game going into that game, you would have approached it any differently? Nah, not really, nah. No, I've, I've always, you know, approached, approached my footy uh, the way I did. Um, looking back, probably, you know, Probably needed, probably could have taken a bit more seriously and, and have been been a bit more professional about it. But you know, look, I, I, I sit here now comfortably, knowing that you know the career I had was was what it was. Um, you know, and I got out what I put in, that's for sure. So um, yeah, look, I've, yeah, got no doubt at all that I would have taken, I, I would have treated the same way, I would have approached it the same way, prepared the same way, all that kind of stuff. Just hope the the result was different. But yeah, it's not. You can't do enough about it now. So so yeah. Yeah, you then signed a two-year deal with uh, the Perth Demons, your original uh, club, before moving over. But what have you gotten up to in the years since that in terms of work and outside of footy? Um, outside of footy, um, I've done worked, um, done some patio building with my young brother. He had his own business, so uh, done a bit of that. Um, I worked in the juvenile um, justice system over in WA. My brother's young brother, Robert Davis, he's got own business, him and his wife Zoe, uh, they do a fantastic job, it's called As One Knitting, knitting is Noongar language for dreaming, so As One Dreaming it is, but yeah, so they do a fantastic job um, with our community and doing cultural programs in yeah in and around the justice system and in and around community to help our community, you know, better better the stats that we, that we have at the moment and yeah, work towards, you know, everyone being better, you know, in the community, lessening the stats. You know, just be just just helping our community move forward. So they do a fantastic job in that. Um, I worked with him for a couple of years, I think. Um, that was all to do with culture and, and programs to help our youth, you know, break away from the justice system. Um, went up to Crafa for a year. Um, then I've moved. Now I currently live over in Haywood, Victoria, uh, coaching and playing over here now. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, so obviously Collingwood is the, uh, possibly the biggest club in Australia. So how passionate were the fans? Uh, do you still get recognised around the place or do you do any media like this? Um, and how do you reckon the boys will go this year? Um, the fans are really passionate. I learnt that very, very early on. Um, the story I tell, when I first got the club, because mum and dad and, and the family were over, we all decided to catch the train. We lived out. We lived out in Preston, so we all decided to catch the train down to the down to the G and, and, and play footy and stuff like that. Then, obviously, after the game, catching public transport after the game was, was probably a silly idea that I didn't really contemplate too much and didn't really understand how crazy the fans were. So, um, yeah, that was the first and last time I did that. But yeah, look, they're they're, they're fantastic. The, the Collingwood supporters and that um, obviously let you know when you've played a good game and let you know when the team's going well, you know, they're all happy in that, but, you know, they'll also let you know when you're, when you're not playing too well either, you know, which, which comes with, with that. So, you know, one of the, you never, you never hear of a half Collingwood supporter or, you know, or used to go for them or, or, or stuff like that. It, it's just one-eyed, 
you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty full on, but, but to have a supporter base like that is, is, is something that, you know, sometimes win, wins a boys game for footy, that's for sure, having a crowd like that behind you. Yes. You know what I mean? So, so, so it's not too bad, so, yeah. Yeah, and also, have you watched a lot of AFL footy since you've uh, been retired? Um, I didn't. The first probably three or four years that I retired, after I retired, I didn't care too much for footy. Spent a lot of time out in the bush, um, out on country. So, you know, footy wasn't... I, I just got away from it. I needed that break. Um, yep. But after that, I just found myself waiting, you know, waiting like every other supporter, waiting for the weekend to come to sit down and watch Friday night football or, or you know, or to watch the pies run around. So, so you know, looking looking forward to this season and it's been a bit, bit, bit of a different preparation. It's been a bit different. Been a bit different preparation for um, for the competition, but it's something that yeah, something that hopefully they go well and and it starts on on Thursday night when they when they face the Tigers, which which will be a good good yeah. to watch and see, see where they're at. Yeah, of course, it's going to be an absolute belter on Thursday night. Um, but now we've got the Q and A's from the fans. Um, yep, we've got first question here from Dan Toner. Uh, any coaching ambitions? Uh, yeah, I um. I can't really coach at the moment down here where, where I'm living. It's just a local comp, so I'll coach down here. And something that I really, really enjoy. Um, as I got to the back end of my career at Collingwood, it's something that you know I sort of enjoyed a lot, teaching the younger blokes and younger kids that came through the club. You know, teaching about footy, not only footy, but you know about life, life experiences and stuff like that as well. And sort of you know look, looking into my experiences and, and stuff like that, and especially with the First Nations boys that came through. Like, just trying to help them out and, and, and make them feel comfortable. So, you know, and, and trying to make sure they're connected to their culture as well. So, so you know, with, with the coaching side of it, something that, you know, I'm very, I, I really, really enjoy. Um, you know, something that hopefully, you know, works out where I can take it further. But at the moment, I'm just enjoying still still playing and, and still, yeah, still, still running around and, and trying to kick a couple of snags on the weekend. But, but yeah, just trying to, trying to move into that coaching side of it where it's something that I really enjoy and, pretty passionate about so I'll keep working on that and, and see where it takes me yeah nice so next one from at Nath 19 underscore which teammate were you closest with uh, I mentioned before um Bree Shaw um Benny Johnson they're probably two that stand out um they got drafted the same year and, and you know I've, I had my troubles and I had my, I had my struggles in my first year wanting to go home and, and wanting to to return to WA, but um, you know those two boys played a played a big part in in making me feel comfortable down there and supporting me not only you know training and, and, and on the football field but off the field as well. Um, them and their family, yeah, played a huge role. You know to get drafted the same year and 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 they really took it upon themselves to to make me feel yeah really comfortable at the football club and, and settle in really really good. And, you know, I knew. You know, I, I had a couple of mates there that that really, you know, helped me out. And that's so, but I mentioned Reese and, and, and John O. Like, you know, they're, they're two that that come to mind straight away. Like, you know, they were there <clears throat> with me from from when I when I you know, debuted and when I got drafted. They got drafted the same year, like I mentioned. So, so yeah, for them to be there and support me and, and help me out, they're they're obviously two blokes that that'll be lifelong mates of mine. And it's great to see great to see Reese, you know, take up his, his coaching and stuff like that. And and yeah, next time I'm down in Melbourne, I look forward to catching up with, with both of them. I'll catch up with John O a fair bit. Reese was a bit different only because he was up in Sydney and, and, and doing that kind of stuff up there. So, but now that they're both back in um, 
back in Melbourne. Hopefully, yeah, next time I'm down there, I can catch up with them both. And, and yeah. All right, so next question from your mate and uh, person we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, Andrew Cracker. Why are you called the Dard? <laughs> Um, that's a nickname. That's his nickname. Questions from <laughs> Pie Hard Podcast. What do you miss most about Melbourne winters? Um, not a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 I suppose something I don't miss a lot is Kerford Road. Um, our recovery sessions were down there, and yeah, it was cold enough out of the water. We had to get in to do our recovery. So, um, so yeah, that's something that I don't miss. But um, it's um, yeah, just 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 that waking up and. Waking up on a weekend, knowing that you know footy's on, and, and you know something that I miss a lot about Melbourne, and, and you know there's, there's no other place like it as far as you know your football atmosphere, and it's the home of footy, and you know waking up knowing that you got a game at the G, you know in front of ninety, close to hundred thousand people, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a very very special feeling. So that's that's something that I miss a lot of, but you know, it's always good to go back to the footy now and, and get back there and watch the flies run around. I've been to the last two. Anzac Day, so that was amazing. That was very, very special. So, so being able to go back now and, and watch the boys run around and still see blokes like Scotty Pendlebury and and Steele and, and Reedy that are that are still there and from my playing days anyway. So, um, so yeah, so, so to catch up with those guys is, is, is special. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, next one from at Christian Muzzer. Favorite memory in a pies jumper? Oh, um, oh. That'd be a couple, I assume. Yeah, yeah, probably my uh, probably my two hundred. Been able to you know walk out with um with my children, uh, have them there celebrate that with me. Um, like I said, being able to, to to reach that milestone and be able to share it with my family is is something that that's very very special. Um, Any time I played back in WA, um, obviously very special. Uh, was able to get the extended family um, family there and. And be there to, to, to watch and and enjoy, you know, my success and and, and being there on, on an AFL field. So, you know, besides, you know, having to get heaps and heaps of tickets for the family, um, that's probably one that, yeah, having all the family there and playing back in WA is something that I remember fondly. Um, and just just the mateship, just you know, bloke like Andy, who's a great mate of mine, and and you know, for a very very long time. Then he came to Collingwood, you know, being able being able to share. You know, the football over in the same jumper with him is something that we, when he was at Richmond and stuff like that, we sort of joked about and all that. But for it to come full circle and, and him be able to play on the same team, things like that. Um, and yeah, like the mateship, but all the other points. Well, not only the, not only the great wins, but, but the losses as well. You know, like, like you share in those losses and, 
as hard as it is, it just makes the, the victories even special. So. Yeah, um, this one isn't an Instagram question, but it's one I've just thought of. Um, have you got any yep. funny uh, Mick Malthouse stories or good sprays you can tell us about? Sorry, put it um, on the spot a bit here. But... Yeah, no, that's fine. I was just trying to think. Um, no, nah, probably just probably just the one where he um, told me I was playing backline. And I thought he was yeah, <laughs> this, so I didn't I didn't believe him. So, but but for someone yeah, for someone like Mick, you know, he's perceived as 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 a very hard very hard man in the in the in the media and in outside the club. But you know, knowing Mick personally, you know, I've got nothing nothing but love for him and. and Really respect him immensely, and and what he does for his for his boys and, and for you know for, for the players that play under him. You know he he's one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet, and and someone that you know he, you you definitely earn his respect. But once you do, it, it, it's something that you know he really does look after. You and and that perfect example with myself. You know, like when things weren't going too well for me, you know, I suppose it would have been easy for for the club to you know sort of get rid of me and stuff like that. But he had full faith in me and. You know, be able to play some some good footy in the end and and repay that faith to him. Um, it's something that you know I'm glad I was able to do. But just the bloke that he is, you know, like, like I said, he's perceived as being very very hard, a grumpy old man. But he, he, he's fast than that. He, he's one of the one of the yeah, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, and yeah, it's not not too much that he doesn't know about footy. That's for sure. So um, so someone like that, you know, with, with Mick, you know, it, it's one of the funniest men. Yeah, going around. So, and he, he didn't mind a prank here and there, but um, but the way, yeah, the way he dealt with his players on a personal level and on an individual level as well. You know, not everyone's same. Not everyone has the same background, upbringing, all that kind of stuff. You know, he, he was able to treat each each bloke differently. You know, on their merits and, and on their background, where they're from. You know, everything to do with who they was as a person. He was able to connect with that, which 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 made him a, a fantastic coach, and which made him, you know, someone that, you know, I'll I'll, I'll yeah, regard as a as a real friend, you know, forever. Yeah. So next question from Kanu Namati: um, Any advice you would give yourself as an eighteen-year-old? Um, just be professional. Take it. Take it serious. Um, yeah. Probably be yeah, take it. Be more professional in in the sense that you know you're playing at the highest level and and you know you see the likes of you know Fife, you know these kind of blokes, you know Dangerfield, you know these kind of guys that you know hit you know work, work very very hard, super hard at training. Work you know and football becomes their life and stuff like that. Whereas with myself, you know at a young age, you know I was all about enjoying it and you know whatever happened happened and. And thought I did grow and mature a bit and, and start putting the work in and all that kind of stuff. But at a very young age, like I said before, the inconsistency of you know being in the team and then out and playing and getting drops and stuff like that. It you know it, it took me a bit to figure out that you know hard work was gonna was gonna help me improve my football and and that kind of stuff. So you know going back now, it was something that I'd, I'd, I'd take my football you know a lot more serious and and yeah, I'd, I'd work. You know, ten times harder than what I did to to make sure I made things happen and not just wait to see if it would or not. That's for sure. Next question is from Bob Ryder. When are you coming back to Perth? <laughs> um, uh, I think I know. I think he's my cousin. Um, not too sure when the um, when they open the borders. I think so. Just wait for that. 
and I'll be home to see the family. I haven't been home for a while, so um, yeah, yeah, just waiting on the on the borders to open up, and then I'll come back home for a, for a bit of a holiday and catch up with, with the folks and, and yeah, and, and see all the family. Yeah. Um, next one's from Josh Andrews three three eight. Did it take a lot <laughs> to sign up for Heathmere Football Club, and have you enjoyed it? Uh, no, it didn't take a lot. Uh, I definitely have enjoyed it. Um, Josh is one of uh, one of the better players down there. One of the better young kids. A lot of promise. Um, he's a great player, great young, great young kid, and and and, and players like him and, and, and blokes like him are why 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 I really really enjoy enjoy coaching and, and you know getting out there on the weekend and, and down to training and, and just yeah teaching teaching the game of football. You know the way that I, I know it and being taught from Mick, um, passing that on to you know the, the younger kids that you know not only make them become better footballers, but make them become better better young men as well. So yeah, of course. Um, well, that's one interview down, one to go, boys. But uh, Leon, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we've really appreciated and great insight into your career. No worries, boys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Uh, thank you. Leon. Thank Good you. luck with the future. Um, but thanks, boys, boys, stick around. Uh, right after this, we'll bring in our guest into the studio right after this. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Our interview with Lee Kitchen is available in another episode. You'll find that just above this episode on your podcast app. And make sure to go follow our socials at Center Square Podcast for all future updates and future special guests.